I had not looked at the hymns. I know the hymns well this morning, but uh, have you ever heard or wondered about the name Calvary? That was a, a place name that I'd heard for years. There's churches with it in the name of the church. There are hymns and songs, as was our first hymn this morning, that references Calvary. And yet I didn't really know what it referred to. Uh, and I never really thought to express much curiosity, really, until a few years ago, honestly. But I found out when you trace that word Calvary in English, it goes back through the King James Version, through a previous English version, all the way back to a word, Calvaria, which is a Latin word that was in one of the early Latin translations of the Bible. And ultimately, it was pointing to the very same place that's named here in our passage in John that John calls Golgotha, which is the Aramaic word that's translated as the place of a skull. So when we hear or say or sing that precious word Calvary, it's pointing back to this place and ultimately to these events around the life of Jesus. So whichever term we may use, it points us to what we might argue to be the most precious plot of ground on the planet Earth. Because in this terrible yet wonderful place, someone with a capital S did something with a capital S that changes and takes care of everything that truly matters. Jesus points us in this moment to the point of it all. The Christ of Calvary, the crucified King, speaks and shows something life-altering both now and it should be now, and for eternity. This place is terrible. Why? Because of the horror and injustice of it all. But this place is wonderful because of what was accomplished, what was demonstrated, and what was enacted for each of us. As should always be the case, our eyes are to turn to Jesus in faith today. But especially in these series of Lenten sermons, not only are our eyes turned in faith to Jesus, but our ears are especially perked up to hear those special words that he's spoken to us, those precious words that he's spoken to us from the cross. So hear today's words of Jesus again. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Before we can see and understand all that Jesus shows us, all that he changes for us, and all he takes care of that I'm referring to as everything, we have to first answer the questions. Who is this man who's even speaking to us? And what is he going through as he speaks? John, through the Holy Spirit, has been very clear. Jesus is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, as the Word, was with God and was God. All things were made through Jesus, the Holy Spirit tells us through John. Yes, the world was made through him. Testifying to that word, John the Baptist, not to be confused with John who wrote the gospel, John the Baptist cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me, ranks before me because he is and was before me. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the very Son of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he truly 
and really became flesh and dwelt among us, including all that that meant to become truly human, especially facing every temptation that we face and yet doing it totally and fully without compromise and without sin. To top it off, Jesus had said very clearly about himself just hours before these events. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is our God in human flesh. This is God subject to the fullness of human pain and human rejection. So let's not diminish the full personhood and nature of Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God who became truly human. And this truth makes all the difference in the world for every single one of us. In fact, it's nothing less than the difference between life and death, between salvation or condemnation. And to crown the whole, Jesus is declared in the midst of this the true king of the Jews. Even though the chief priests object to it and renounce it, and even though Pilate does not write this with sincerity and full insight, yet the Jews of the first century largely reject their king. However, as Gary Bird suggests, that the universal reach of these three languages placed above Jesus' head suggests something far bigger than simply king of the Jews. Here is the king not simply of the Jews, but of the whole world. A king whose righteousness would render the verdict and outcome that he has received at our hands to be the highest height of wickedness and heinousness. Therefore, let's not only grapple with who Jesus is as he speaks these last words, but let's be reminded what circumstances he is enduring for us. The challenge for us, as always, is to, become, to not become cold and indifferent to the circumstances in which Jesus is speaking these words. The Holy Spirit, through John, reminds us, so they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Later on, when we hear the cross referred to again, it's referred to as the cross of Jesus in verse 25, near which are standing Jesus' mother and three other women along with the beloved disciple. Dear brothers and sisters, these references are very brief, but let's not be deceived into thinking this is a small challenge. This is gruesome beyond what we can fully grasp, and it's at multiple levels. In this personal circumstance, Jesus is taking care of everything. He is bringing us to the point of it all. By everything, it means that so much of what we count or think is everything is maybe just something, or maybe in some instances, actually nothing. Those things don't truly make up everything. Listen to what David said in Psalm 16. He speaks this way. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. We humans have a way of making much of lesser things. And I've got a whole lot of catching up to do in the school of Jesus who shows us what everything truly is. How about you? But what is everything? Jesus knows. Jesus has lived it from all eternity along with the Father and the Spirit. Philip Talon in his book, The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith, puts it this way. He says, before there was a world, and let me add, before there was a world with all the pretty things in it that we think that make up something and make up everything. Before there was a world, there was a family. 
the family of a triune God. Jesus quite possibly, stripped naked both literally and figuratively, shows us life is about relationship with the Father and by the Spirit through him, and then with one another through him to the Father and by the Spirit. Jesus is living out this truth right before our very eyes in the most profound way. As the one through whom all things were made, he not only knows, but is the very author of what is the purpose of God for humans and life in this world. As a true human, he is showing the ideal for human life. Since he is doing the the very will of the Father for himself who sent him, and he is an obedient son in living out the plan of redemption. Jesus reveals a truth about God and about us and about what is supremely important. We are made for right relationship with God and to live in close, intimate relationships of holy, loving commitment with one another. Listen to what Joshua McNall says about this in his book, Long Story Short, The Bible in Six Simple Movements. After talking about all the different ways that were out there in the ancient world to talk about the origins of the world, how this world came into being, how everything in it came into being, he says this, The creation chapter in God's story is an attempt to open our minds to the possibility that there is indeed another story out there, a more beautiful story, one that rings truer. We find it in the scriptures. What we discover when we read the Bible carefully is that the universe emerged not from violent or sexual conflict, not from the clash of volatile personalities or volatile gases, but from and for community. In the Bible, Everything from anteaters to jellyfish, waterfalls to water buffaloes, sunsets to supernovas, everything emerges from and for persons in loving relationship. This is the classic Christian doctrine of creation, but it is also the doctrine of the Trinity. Our universe came into being from a God who is communion, Father, Son, and Spirit, and it emerges for persons, both divine and human, who will live together with the same concern for one another. Jesus reveals, and the circumstances of his crucifixion reveal, that we need to be restored to relationship with God and one another. That Jesus would willingly lay his life down and in this way reveals the depths of our need. Think with me. The coldness, the callousness, and crassness of the Jews, the chief priests, Pilate and the Roman soldiers show the depth of our alienation from God and really our our alienation from one another. The cowardice and lack of undying commitment by most of the disciples reveal it as well. But also, what Jesus the Christ of Calvary does while on the cross in the midst of this great suffering and injustice against him reveals we need restoration of relationship with each other. We need him to bind us not only to himself and to the Father and the Spirit, but to bind us together through him. Think with me for a minute. What did Jesus not say in these in-life moments? Things like, wish I'd been to to more athletic competitions, wish I'd been on more trips, wish I'd had more money and made more money, wish I'd had more stuff, wish I'd been more successful in business, wish I'd had more clothes. None of these things. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that some of these things don't have their proper place and proper proportion. 
but they are revealed to not be central. Vertical and horizontal relationships with God and each other, those are essential, and those are central. And so we need Christ, the Christ of Calvary, in order to have them, to be brought back into them, and then to have the vision, the grace, and the power to live them out. What does Jesus say at this moment? What he does say reveals that he's not thinking of himself. He's not thinking of missed opportunities like we might think of missed opportunities or really anything else about himself. In fact, he did not miss his opportunity. He is hitting that opportunity nail square on the head because he is thinking about and being obedient to his father. He's thinking about others. He's taking care of others. He is showing that God, and that includes himself, God is love but not in a thin, broken human way. He is showing pure, eternal, sacrificing for others, even unworthy ones kind of love. And he is in the middle of the sacrifice and suffering. And as he is doing that, he is taking steps in the midst of that sacrifice and suffering to connect these precious people in front of him in intimate family bonds. He who had known perfect love from all eternity and has shown perfect love from all eternity he who had known perfect family from all eternity is right here right now making family happen with these people and for us today he has both already done the work and is even now in this moment applying that work to continue to make home and family between himself and the father and the spirit with us and also to make home and family with one another through him and we do that as we turn exclusively to Jesus through repentance and faith Jesus's love is so perfect it's so strong that he cares for others in the midst of his passion and his crucifixion his astonishing love is not only amazing because of the awful cruelty and physical dimension of the cross it's also because of the enormous falsehood that it represented the pure spotless holy innocent lamb of god who is none other than the very son and word of god is being treated as the most corrupt contemptible criminal that is love like we can't even imagine and here it is on display for us any claim of human goodness and inherent righteousness on the part of us is ultimately and totally discredited when we own our bloodied and grimy hands in this ordeal And yet here is Jesus, loving like that in the hell of that kind of circumstance. Oh, what love! Oh, what grace! Oh, what mercy, brothers and sisters! Oh, what compassion and care for us. Jesus' perfect love, while painfully giving his life for us, it's one thing to say he went through all that to save us sinners. But it's another thing that in the middle of all that, He is thinking about and taking care of others right on the spot, taking care of their needs. And this only amplifies the magnitude of his love even more. Jesus' mother, standing at the cross, may not yet be full-blown post-resurrection faith, but I think there's there's a sense in which there's an appropriate loyal trust in her son as the only son of God. The beloved disciple may not yet be be to that point of run past Peter to the tomb on the third day, look in, see, and believe full-on resurrection Christian faith. 
But he already has a sort of faith that keeps him there at the cross with Jesus. And in that faith, they're ready to receive the very voice of Jesus and to already begin to receive the achievement that he is making available to them. Not only in terms of their relationship with the Father through him by the Spirit, but also now to make family. Some would even see, to begin, see this to begin the making of the church already at the foot of the cross. Friends, we need this. Not just this way, but this way as well. I've come to grips in a fresh way in recent weeks about the, my own painful tendency at a heart level to sometimes turn away from people. They may not know it, but me and God know it. I feel it in my heart. It may be because I feel threatened by their intelligence or their likability or something else in their life. It may be because I perceive them to be sort of an unsafe person or an unapproachable person. It may be that I've experienced this person say critical comments or have different beliefs than I have. Or maybe sometimes it's just I'm preoccupied with myself and my own little agenda and my own little things. Whatever it may be, there's, there's this dynamic in me, this fear, this pride, this shame, this selfishness, and probably a number of other heart dynamics that I allow to become a false premise that allows me to turn away in my heart. What about you? Do you feel that sometimes? Of course you do, if we're honest. But there's great news. The Calvary, the Christ of Calvary, is the Word who was with God and who was God. The Christ of Calvary is pouring forth perfect love to the point of not only accepting the sufferings of Calvary, but even to be creating restored communion with the Father and the Spirit and a community we can call family in Himself while going through this agonizing ordeal. So let's receive the Christ of Calvary. Let's receive what he's showing to us and what he's saying to us and what he's doing in this cross for us. To internalize that, all we need to do is admit our need and be willing to let him turn us away from those old ways back to himself. So let's pray about that this morning. Father, as we come to you, we want to take a few moments now just to come silently before you to do business with you one-on-one. So let's come before him. Jesus, if we're honest, we've been caught in the act. We've been the cold-hearted ones. We've been the callous ones. We've been the crass ones. We've been the cowardice ones. We've been the uncommitted to you and to each other. Lord, but here you are pouring out perfect love right in the midst of all that to prove that your love is stronger than death and sin and hell if we'll turn to you. So we turn to you this morning. Lord, some of us, for the 10,000th time, but maybe somebody this morning for the very first time. Lord, hear us, help us to feel and hear and, and respond faithfully to that knock at our hearts. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us for who we've been. But thank you for what we can become through you. Born again children of God. Assured of forgiveness and fellowship with you and the Father and the Spirit. And we thank you that you on the basis of your death will now fill us with your Spirit that we might live reconciled and reconciling relationships with one another. 
Thank you, Jesus. We receive that, and we ask that you'd help us to follow through. In, in your holy name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.